I guess the most effective way there is just to let the, the hose and the machine get the coating, you know, to knock yep. down that static. But like you said, if you don't do that, you can get shocked. And I've seen arcs shooting across the hose and in guys' hands, and it's it can be painful. Yeah. It places a fabric softener in the hopper or it gets the hose again. <laughs> This is the one and only, the original podcast where you can find yours and your business's true value. You're listening to Our Value. Brought to you by America's insulation source, IDI Distributors. You want to hear from the best contractors, suppliers, and consultants that dedicate themselves to more than just survival in the business world? Industry professionals that are dedicated to excellence in every aspect of their business? Our Value has them all here to share that same motivation and knowledge with you. Tune in and grow a more successful, profitable, educated, and recognized business. Listen to the Our Value podcast to become the industry leader in your market. Find your value with Our Value. Hello and welcome back to Our Value, brought to you by IDI Distributors, America's insulation source. You're listening to the Insulators Podcast, Our Value. Hey, Don. What's up, Pancake? It's Friday. Again, hard to put a timestamp on a podcast that's going to get released later, but I can tell you it's Friday, and it's probably one of the last nice days here in Minnesota. So we're uh, going to hopefully get out of here and enjoy it. You know what else it is, Travis? Uh, archery deer opener tomorrow here in Minnesota. It's the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year. Yes, you know, it is archery season. And how many podcasts and have I'm we sad. done and you still don't turn off your ringer on your phone? I did. It's my damn watch that does it every uh, single time. You know, you can turn but, the sound off of that too. No, I didn't. But I got three days, 15 hours, two minutes and 51 seconds until I go on my South Dakota archery trip. Woot, woot. So, looking forward. Donnie, we have a fantastic guest today. Way to cut me off on deer hunting. That's all right. I just want to get to what we get to so that I can get going out of here. So, and now I got the office line. <laughs> <right here. laughs> That's okay. It goes to show that you do go to work. <laughs> I am in the office. All that aside, Donnie, who are we talking to today? Well, here is a guy that's kind of rare these days, Pancake. At the age of 38, he is only on his second job. And that being his second job is being IDI's fiberglass and equipment and sales rep. Previously, he spent 21 plus years at Crendel Machine Company. And if you can do the math as good as I can, uh, that's about, he started at about 17. He started as a general laborer, then moved to team leader, followed by a sales position, and then on to distribution sales manager, and he ended his career there as fabrication and distribution business sales manager. Uh, he joined IDI early in 2020, and as his job description states, he handles our fiberglass fiberglass equipment sales, as well as assisting in our training customers in the field and during one of our numerous trainings that we hold nationally throughout the year. So with that, I would welcome Chris Furst to the show. 21 years at Crandall. Yes, sir. Did I do my math right? Yep. I started uh, 17, so I was working. Uh, actually, that was uh, my second job. My first job was uh, I was a cook in high school, but I didn't think that needed to be on my resume anymore. Um, started there and uh, just wanted to get uh, get a job that I could go to work in the evenings every night because I was a kid that just wanted to work. So that fit the bill and just stayed there. Well, I guess if there's anything good to come out of COVID, we thank uh, COVID 
for happening because that's how you fell into our laps. And I know that uh, I knew you through the years uh, when you were at Crendel assisting us with trainings and stuff. So I can't tell you how excited I am to have you aboard. And you've been uh, been damn good at what you've been doing the last six months. So now we get to do a podcast with you. It's been a good transition. I've I've been having fun. It's good. good. Welcome aboard, Josh. I mean, Chris. Thank you, Don. <laughs> You're going to have to explain that one to the listeners there, Don. <laughs> oh, it's just one of those things where, you know, when you call somebody the wrong name and they don't correct you right away. And so you think, oh, that's his name. It's Josh. Well, one of our employees who I won't mention her name, but <laughs> the initials are Chelsea Whitley, um, kept calling him Josh. <laughs> and Chris just let it roll, and she was so floored to find out that his name actually wasn't Josh. But now it just sticks, and that's what most of us call him now. That's amazing. <laughs> we should get a separate business card made up. Oh, it was Josh. And he's too nice to correct her, probably. So Honestly, uh-huh. I didn't know until that day on the airplane when she was yelling, Hey, Josh. Hey, Josh. I did not know she was talking to me <laughs> until we got off the plane. <laughs> when we got off the so plane. So she was referring when- to you. <laughs> that's even better couple, because she she was a couple kept, rows ahead of me she turned back and yelled hey josh and i had just assumed there was a another tech behind me on the plane that she saw <laughs> you're like hey i know that girl but i don't know who josh is who's, yep. who's josh and then when we got uh, off the plane she good. was in there and said hey josh and i realized at that time two years after i first met her that she thought my name was josh <laughs> <laughs> oh that is amazing Good. Yes, it is. What a great, what a great podcast story. Great, great podcast story. So, Chris, you're with IDI now, and you're the fiberglass and equipment sales person. What does that really entail? So, um, work with the work with the guys. You know, we've got a lot of sales guys, and there's a lot of new guys looking to get into the business. And, and gals, uh, and gals. Uh, guys and gals. Yep. Correct. There's a lot of different people looking to, or a lot of new people looking to get into the business and it can be pretty confusing picking out a machine. There's a lot of different machines. So I kind of help answer questions on, on equipment, what's going to work best for them, um, how to, um, how to size up the right, right machine for what they're looking to do. And then uh, after they get the machine, make sure that they're running it properly, getting coverage out of their material, being able to, um, to do anything they need to do with it. Aren't all blow machines the same? They are not. There's a lot of different uh, differences. A lot of differences. They all do the same thing. Basically, you take a, a dense bag of material, you throw it in there, and you you want it to blow out and get your coverage. But they're they're they all have their differences and different speeds and everything. So there's a lot of different things that go into it. So if we have customers listening to this and they're thinking about, they could be a spray foam contractor thinking about getting into fiberglass or just somebody listening who wants to get into the business in general, what are some of the considerations they should take into account when looking for a machine? First thing I tell them is find out what you want to do. Uh, Do you want to do attics? Do you want to do walls? Is it going to be new construction, retro, any type of spray on applications? Um, There's sailors wall spray. Some people do fireproofing. Um, There's a lot of different things you can do with it. So you need to find out what you want to be able to do. Next thing is, um, are you going to be using fiberglass, cellulose, mineral fiber? Realize what type of material you're going to be doing and then how fast you want to go. 
Um, and that could be some guys will talk in bags per hour. So if you're, if you're doing fiberglass, you may want a machine that's doing 20 bags per hour or 50 bags per hour, whatever it is. Uh, some guys will, will, uh, based off of how many square footage they want to do. So if you're saying you want to do R49, figure out how many bags that takes for how many square feet you're going to blow in a day. Um, then you want to figure out what else are you going to be doing? If you're doing retro work, are you going to show up and, and do a removal that same day? Are you going to do air sealing and, and then blow material in there? Um, basically need to find out what your day is going to look like. And, and once you know all of that, then you figure out how fast you want that machine to go. Um, and when I talk with them, I, I always try to make sure they understand when I say you can do this many square feet or this many bags per hour, that's you also have the setup, you have the cleanup. There's a lot of different things that, uh, that come into play. Um, then after that, they need to figure out, do they want gas, diesel, electric PTO? Um, there's a lot of different, um, different power options. They all have their own benefits. Um, electric's nice because if you need to get into a building and, and go into, uh, like a freight elevator and go up uh, multiple stories to, uh, to do a job, it's great for that. Um, problem is you need to worry about power on site, which isn't always reliable or a generator, which can be its own problem. We see a lot of people getting into gas and diesel powered machines now. They're their own power source. Um, as long as they take care of them, they're good. Um, and then there's also a budget. Um, but um, I, I wouldn't get too hung up on the budget just because if if you think your business can, can do what it can do um, and you need to be that productive, you know, you need to get into the right machine. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing too, is what's your business plan, right? I mean, it's no different than getting into spray foam, which is considerably more expensive, but I know when I was talking to customers back in the day, it was, well, yeah, you're going to be successful if you have a plan. Same things, you know, regarding blowing machines, right? It's not just a a weekend warrior type thing. I mean, it can be, but you know, if you're, if you're making an investment, even if it's 8,000 versus, you know, 40,000, you should still have a business plan. So, and that's why there's so many different machines. There's not, it's not a one size fits all. And I've seen a lot of guys that I talk to and say, if you want to be in this business, you have to have this, you have to have that. You, it, it doesn't work for everybody. You know, everybody's business model is different. Come up with your plan. And, and once you know what you're looking to do, we can, we can get you set into the right thing to make sure you're successful. And based on what I'm hearing you say, the electric is kind of the, the entry level usually. Yes, um, but there are some some pretty large contractors that still use electric. For example, like I said, if they get some bigger jobs where they're going onto a freight le- freight elevator and going up, you know, they're still going to have them. So even though they're entry level, that's not their their only use. Sure, makes sense. Um, talk a little bit about PTO. Uh, I used to see that a lot. You know, 10, 10 11 years ago, I st- that everybody wanted a PTO machine. Now, very PTO. rarely do I ever see anybody asking for them. Uh, that's funny you say that. I just had somebody ask for it yesterday, um, but it's less and less common. Um, PTO was pancake. <laughs> PTO was very uh, very popular years ago, and it seems to be coming. Really, don't know why that is. Um, me personally, I like the gas or diesel models if you're going to go to a bigger machine, just because if a truck breaks down and it's you know a month, month and a half to get parts or get it repaired you can still move that machine to another truck and, and still keep going. If it's a PTO and that truck's down, you're down. Um, but you know, it, you, you can get the PTO if, if it works, it's everybody's, uh, everybody has their own preference. So if that's what you're comfortable with. Yeah. And I think part of that is I'm seeing a lot of guys with, with spray foam box trucks, 
Um, if they're going a little bit further away, you know, they're loading up a trailer that they put their blow machine in. So, you know, it's a lot easier to put, obviously you can't put a PTO machine in a trailer, but sure. they're just kind yeah. of, you know, the, the one-stop shop coming in with their spray foam rig, you know, towing a, a trailer with, you know, and it doesn't see, you don't see it a lot because, you know, it's usually in rural areas where you kind of get away from your your warehouse or wherever, but that's where I see kind of maybe the draw to not having a PTO other than, you know, if the truck breaks down, you're kind of broke down. Well, and also the, uh, so, the PTO, uh, if you're running, you're running a 200, 250 horsepower engine all day, as opposed to a 20, 25 horsepower engine on the machine. Don, did you have something to add? No, you had I your- did, but he kind of already answered it. There you go. I, sometimes I just have to sit back and wait for the question to be answered. You know, that's what happens when we get a guy on that's way smarter than either one of us, which is not difficult to do, by the way. Um, so, just you, so know, you know, it's down to three days, 14 hours, 51 minutes. <laughs> Somebody's excited to go deer hunting. I'm jealous, by the way. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Super jealous. So a lot of things have seemed to kind of come up. You get that savvy vet that been around, has experience, knows his machine in and out but still kind of has problems and I know that that's your main, you know, uh, function is to kind of go out and identify troubleshoot and things like that. Other than getting into the basic questions, like what are the biggest problems with machines? When you get into a guy that knows what he's doing and he's still having problems, what do you find are the most common things? With uh, there, there's two different ways to answer that. Um, it could be with the machine or with applications. And it's, it's pretty common to get uh, questions for both um, for, for the machines. Um, I hate to say it. Most of the time, it comes down to lack of maintenance um, on the machines. If, if you don't, um, you're going to have problems. When I started at uh, at Crendel um, in my early 20s, I I was doing uh, tech support, and I'd get calls on machines that were older than me. Um, these machines will last if you take care of them, um, but a lot of guys uh, won't take care of them. Guys or gals won't take care of them. Um, and I, I, one of the easiest things to do is keep them clean. Um, I. The guys that, that keep their equipment uh, clean goes a long way. When you think about insulation, insulation is designed to um, to slow uh, heat transfer, um, and it, it insulates. So anytime you get insulation built up on your equipment, it's going to make your equipment run hot, hotter, which is going to cause more problems. Um, so ha- taking an air compressor every once in a while, blowing, blowing off underneath the machine, blown out air filters if you've got a, a an engine on there blow out the the cooling fins if it's a diesel engine blow out the radiator you know take care of uh, of cleaning it up uh, again the insulation is going to hold in the heat it's going to make it run warmer and, and that's going to cause more problem something else i see a lot of is is um bags getting onto the um the agitators so if somebody's using fiberglass if part of a bag gets in there um it, it'll wrap around on there or cellulose it's really common to have some plastic in there which will build up around the agitators and guys will look in the bottom of the of the machine and wonder hey why isn't why isn't my machine producing the way it should or why am i not getting getting coverage well you used to have these long agitator tines that are breaking up the material and now the bag is covering up those tines so it can't break it up so um, you won't get uh, you won't get the coverage you won't get the production real quick if a manufacturer states X amount of bags per hour, or is that through the machine or through the machine states X amount of bags per hour? Is that kind of like spray foam where it's like, Hey, you should get 15,000 board feet per set of foam, but there's a lot of factors that go into it. 
There are a lot of factors that go into it. Um, when you look at the production rates, if they say they can do 50 bags per hour, most manufacturers that I'm aware of, when they do their production rates, they're running as fast as possible. So they throw a bag of material in there and they push it through the, the machine as fast as they can and they don't care about coverage. Um, so they blow it out, they weigh it, and they they do um, um, they see what, what type of weight they get and then they transfer that over to bags. So you got 30 pounds, I'll say that's roughly one bag. And then they can say, we do a bag a minute or whatever it is, whatever that time frame is. Uh, talking with some people, they say, you know, that that's pretty misleading. And I could see where it is misleading, but on the, on the other side is what, what's a better way. There's, there's so many different materials out there. Um, you'd have to do a, a production test for every single one, trying to get coverage um, in order to get an accurate, an accurate gauge. So um the, the production numbers, you can get there, but you're not getting there with while hitting coverage. So if you're trying to get coverage with your material, you're going to be going a good indicator is, is 70 to 80 percent of what the, what the manufacturer states is usually what you'll be able to get. Not in every case, but it's a pretty good rule of thumb. OK. And do you find that there's a, obviously you're a little biased because of where you work, but. Is there a particular manufacturer that seems to get a consist better consistency on their on their coverages, or is that kind of not a great question to ask because it depends on their variables of the machine? I know there's a lot of other things to get into as far as coverages, you know, technique, how you blow it, do you put your hand over the hose, do you change your hose, you know, all those stuff that I want you to talk about here. So I don't want to steal your thunder, but sure. So. The, the thing that I like about how Crendel does their their production numbers is they try to do it as real life as possible. I mean, let's be honest, all these guys are doing them, you know, in their in their facilities. So it's not really real life situations, but they'll put on the 150 foot of hose. They'll run it up 16 foot of elevation like you're actually blowing it up into an attic and, and at least try to simulate that. I can't speak to how the other manufacturers do it. Um, everyone, I'm sure, has their own way to do it. Um, but I would say they're all probably pretty close to the same in that 70 to 80% range to get it, uh, to get your coverage. Again, that's not on everything. Um, each machine is going to be different, but, um, uh, but I would say they're all probably, probably doing the best that they can with it. So you, you said there's a lot of things that like Travis said, a lot of things that affect it. Let's talk about some of them. Um, we talked about lack of maintenance and clearing it or cleaning it. What are some of the other things, just simple things that they should be doing on a regular basis? Well, the one thing uh, Travis said was putting your hand over the end of the hose. Um, that's something I see a lot of guys do, and they've been doing that for years. And and I see every, uh, you know, advertisement for, for the manufacturers, you know, every guy that they have yep. in there in their video or even their, you know, their their brochure, that guy's got his hand draped over the front. So, you know, when, you, when you've always told me that, I've always been like, well, they're doing it wrong because Chris Fierce said so. <laughs> well, the, how I always explain it is you take all this, you cut open the bag, you, you put it in the machine, the machine takes all the time to break it up. And then when it goes down the hose, the, the hose does condition it. So we talked about, you mentioned the, you know, replacing hose. Um, if your hose becomes warm, warm you're not going to get proper coverage. But we take all this time breaking it up in the machine and tumbling it down the hose. And the first thing we do when it comes out was, is we smack it into our hand. And that's naturally going to compress the fibers. Um as, right as it comes out, I always tell guys, you want it to blow out into an arc and let it fall into place. Make it look like it's snowing um, up in the attic. And each manufacturer has their own set, you know, 10 to 12 feet, 12 to 14 feet out the end of the hose. You can usually find that on the bag, but um, you you don't want to put your hand over the end or point the, the hose down because it does the same thing. If you point it down and it, it hits that, that attic floor, all we're do the first thing we're doing once it comes out of that hose is compacting it. 
and it's not going to be a big difference, but I mean, it could be, you know, five to five to seven percent, I would say, of, of coverage loss. And, and that's just leaving profits in the attic. So then why do they do it and why do they recommend it? Because I've even seen it written, you know, that you should slow it down with your hand, you know. So just I, I can't answer that. Why, old school why mentality. That. I would say if you're around like an attic hatch, I mean, just don't make a habit of doing it everywhere in the attic. And you said five to seven percent difference. That's that's pretty big. You know, yeah, if you're doing two or three jobs a day, that can make a big difference. It, it can add up quick, pretty quick. Hey, speaking of the hoses and the condition of the hose and how that conditions the the material, is there a ratio of duct tape to hose of <laughs> when you should, you should replace that? Is it 50% duct tape to hose? Is it 20%? <laughs> I would say less than, less than 50. I would say once you hit 20%, it's probably time to do it. But uh, the manufacturers usually say about six to nine months blowing one way down the hose. Was that um, six to nine it. years? Was that, is that what I heard? Six to nine years? Six to nine months. Oh, months. No kidding. <laughs> and then flip it, and then you can get about another uh, three to six months out of it um, going going the opposite direction. Basically, what happens is there's there's ridges or ribs in that hose, and as the material continually goes down there, it's going to wear those out. Um, and those ridges, as the material bounces off of them, that's what helps it break up more and get, uh, get more coverage. All right. It's getting colder in Minnesota. Drier air. Static. Mm-hmm. What's your, after, you know, you've got the experience with the machines, not necessarily installing, but I've heard you talk about this before. What, what's the solution there? I mean, this, if you've ever, I've been in an attic training, whatever, doing it and been shocked. It hurts. Yes, it does. Um, so the, the main thing, uh, I've heard a lot of different things. Guys will put, guys will try to ground the machine, ground the hose, uh, put graphite in there, all these different things. The thing that I've heard that works the best is take a, a 50-50 mixture of water and fabric softener and just either put it in a weed sprayer or a, or a little squirt bottle and every few bags that you put in, just squirt a couple squirts in, onto the bag. And that'll help coat the inside of the machine and, and the hose. If it's really dry out and the static is getting really bad, let the material get low and then do some more squirts in the material at the bottom of the machine and then start feeding and, and adding. Um, usually every couple bags, a few squirts will take care of it. If it gets pretty dry, then you can you can up that. So it's kind of based upon you know usage, and I guess the most the most effective way there is just to let the let the hose and the machine get the coating, you know, to to knock yep. down that static. So yeah, yeah, but like you said, if if you don't do that, you can get shocked. And I've seen arc shooting across the hose and in guys' hands, and it's it can be painful. Yeah, it places a fabric softener in the hopper, or it gets the hose again. <laughs> I think. Yes, that, I went there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Going to leave that one alone. Going to leave that one alone. <laughs> so getting up into just a, just a quick way, any big difference on gas and diesel? I mean, why would you pick one over the other? Diesel will last longer. Um, there's um, some guys prefer diesel. Some guys prefer gas. It just depends. Um, the diesel engines, uh, the ones that I deal with, uh, most of the time they'll plumb the uh, – the engine into the fuel tank on the truck. So the good thing there is you only have to fuel one tank on your, on your truck. Um, if it's a gas machine, usually it has its uh, own fuel, uh, fuel tank. The problem there is, uh, I just had a call from a guy down in Houston the other week where their, their machine wasn't running properly. And we found out that the diesel tank 
Um, so they had problems with that machine. So there's a tech tip. Make sure you put the proper fuel in the tank to make sure that, <laughs> to make sure that it runs properly. Um, that might yeah, affect guess, the way your truck runs here. too, right? I'm sorry? That might affect the way your truck actually drives too. Correct. Correct. What else is there about the machines? One thing we missed on the on the machines, a big problem is airlock seals. Ooh. Um, that's that's a big one. Um, and that's across the board, right? That doesn't matter if it's electric, gas, diesel, PTO. Yep, every, uh, pretty much every machine nowadays has an air. I, I can't think of any that are being manufactured now that don't have airlocks. Um, before the airlock machines or other, obviously, machines that didn't have airlocks. Um, but the machines now, um, the seals... If, if the guy up in the attic or in the wall doesn't seem to have the blowing pressure, um, I always tell him, run the machine low till you can see the agitators moving. And if you get a lot of material blowing back up in the hopper, that tells you your seals are worn. They can be worn by, by usage over time, just wearing out, or somebody dropped a knife or something into the airlock. Um, they're just rubber seals in there. So if something falls in there, it can tear, tear it pretty easy, and that'll slow you down. The good thing is if, uh, if you have worn or torn seals, you can continue to run your machine. Uh, until you get the get the parts and put them in, it's not gonna not gonna put you down, but you're gonna lose production and coverage. So sure. it would uh, it'd be in your best interest to get that replaced as soon as possible. Yeah, I guess the most common thing I see is the bad seals and then just guys just flat out not changing their hoses and not getting the coverage. And I know uh, we just did a recent kind of study, our own in-house study, and I think Owens Corning is doing one as well, where it could be up to a twenty percent coverage loss with bad hoses. So, you know, if you put that again on a, you know, a house that's 100 bags, you know, you're going to 20% overage on that. That's that's a pretty big number. You know, some of these guys, I've seen hoses that are two, three years old, and they blow a lot of attics. So I can only imagine how many how many bags of fiberglass have gone through those, those hoses without them being, you know, switched over. And those typically, that's when you start getting the complaints on the, on the bag, on the bag coverage from them too. And that's why... Um, we call guys like you to go out to the job site because then we try to figure out, is it technique? Is it machines? You know, what else is, is it, is it maintenance? So those are kind of the three things that we've hit on is, you know, it is a machine. You got to change the oil, got to change the filters, got to keep it clean. Next thing is, you know, the hoses and the maintenance uh, portion of it. So. And you need to set it properly. A lot of, a lot of people that I go out and work with, I see that they have their slide gate open all the way. That's. You know that that that's pushing as much material through the machine as you can, and you think you'd be going faster, but that's not really the case. Basically, you're putting more material in the same same space. So if you slow it down, you'll get more coverage and and uh, make more money. So a lot of guys kind of I kind of feel like that too. They have got their slide gate way too far open. You're basically just putting too much air in it. Right? Is that kind of the too, too much material? Too much material. So when it, so when you get too much air in it, and you say you're fluffing it, what is that? That affects coverage too, doesn't it? Yes. Too, and that goes back to when we talked about on the bag, on the back of the bag. Like if you look at uh, L77 on the back of the bag, I think it says it should shoot out at an arc of ten to twelve feet. If you're shooting out with that arc, that tells you you've got a good, you've got the right amount of air pressure to basically tumble down that hose and, and help break it up to the to the final conditioning step. Um, if, um, if you've got too much air, a lot of times what will happen is you just have too much dust up in the attic. Um, so just slow down, slow it down till you get that, till you get that arc and, uh, and get the dust out of the air, um, the excess dust and that should be good. So you're basically, what you're saying is go up there and kind of play around with it until you get that 10 to 12 foot arc. That's your sweet spot as far as air pressure. 
and, your, and then your slide gate and everything. So that's a good kind of visual test, right? Because a lot of guys, you know, especially newer guys that get machines, they're like, well, where do I set my air? And, how, you know, other than what we tell them, you know, th- three quarters closed or three quarters open, you know, I actually don't know right now that I just said that, which one is the better one. But um, once you find that sweet spot. Gate, yeah, on the gate, usually a rough estimate's about three quarters open and then blower just depends on where you need to be to get to that arc. Okay. I have some guys, once you find that, mark it on the machine, right on the right on the slide gate. Hey, here's where we are with L77 for addicts, and here's where we are where we are on the blower. That way, if tomorrow you have a new crew that that's using the machine, they know right where to go. And that was going to be my my question was, unless you switch products, you shouldn't have to adjust that, right? They shouldn't like, have to. Not like with spray foam, where you have to adjust the temperature and pressure just depending on ambient conditions. Correct. And it should be pretty set going forward unless you switch material pretty much yep if if you have to change it something changed um and and that doesn't mean that you may not have to change you know half an inch here or there on the slide gate just to just to get it dialed in a little bit better to get coverage uh but once you find that you should stay in that same area if you have to change if you have to increase blower pressure or change something else something's probably wrong either Either the seals are out on the machine, your your blower filters clogged. That's that's just an indicator that you need to check something. The other thing you probably have to change would be for blown in walls. You're going to have different settings. Correct. Yeah. Anytime you do a different application, you're usually going to change it. If you change material or change set or change uh, application, you're going to be changing settings. I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, instead of talking about blowing out material, what about sucking up material? What about vacuums? Vacuums have been growing um, a lot lately. Um, the last last five years, um, they seem to keep getting better and better. I, I think it's a lot of people are just talking more about the indoor air quality um, of homes. Um, I, I talk with a lot of guys that do it, and I, I think it's a, probably one of the highest margins margin uh, applications that you can do in this business. Um, basically, you go in there, you're taking out the material and and you don't have that much uh, material cost as opposed to a little bit of fuel and, and some vacuum bags. Maybe you're only paying labor. You know, a lot of my customers or even customers have spoken to in other areas, just hate vac outs. They, they despise them. It, it is a dirty job. Um, but then again, that's why you want to charge a premium for it. Um, it's a dirty job. And a lot of, a lot of the complaints come from the vacuums. Um, they don't, they don't hold up. Um, a lot of the reason is back to the maintenance. Um, a lot of it is is set up of how the equipment needs to be set up and also damaging, um, you know, with the damaging debris up in the attic, nails, chunks of wood and things like that. And that's where um, if you have a defender, uh, we strongly recommend that you use a defender on everything. It, it takes that um, that debris and, and all that junk out before it hits your fan, um, the chamber and, and damage the engine or shoots out the bag and flies down the street and hits a car or something. Um, as far as the setup, um, most people that I worked with when, uh, when I go out, um, they're usually putting the vacuum bag right on the output of the vacuum. And the problem with that is when the, when you suck up the material and it blows into the bag, all the excess air as it comes out of the bag, it brings some dust with it. And the air intake on that engine is right next to it. And we talked about, you know, insulation is going to hold in the heat. That'll make that engine run warmer and and uh, you'll burn up some engines pretty quick. And when you talk about a defender, is that that's kind of a relatively new concept, or has that been around for a while? Because I know IDI has a special vacuum that it's actually attached to the actual vacuum itself. In fact, I don't think we sell any 
in recent memory that doesn't have a defender on it. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about what the defender is? So the defender will take out all that debris. That's not all of it, but it'll take out most of the harmful debris that comes into that you're sucking up from, from up in the attic. Um, and as it comes through, as the material passes through the defender, the nails, the chunks of wood and things like that will fall out of the airstream and the insulation will pass through. Um, most manufacturers have a vacuum and then they have a defender. So you've got the vacuum, you hook up the hose, hook up the defender, and then you hook up the rest of your hose and up into the attic. Um, the problem with that is we found there's a lot of guys that get pretty lazy when they get out to the job site and they'll just hook up the hose straight to the vacuum and go because they don't want to lift the defender off of the truck. They don't want to take the time to, um, to hook up all, all the extra hoses. The benefit of, of the vacuum that IDI has is the, the defender is built right into it. So if they're lazy, it doesn't matter. It, it's still on there. Um, the only problem is we, they need to remember to empty out the tray at the bottom because once that material fills up, if there's no place for the debris to fall, it's going to fall. It's going to fly through. So, I always tell guys to empty the defender every time you're uh, you're switching bags. Another another and, maintenance tip, right? A lot of yep. overlooked maintenance stuff. Yep. And, and back to the bags uh, for for setup. Um, we talked about all that insulation that comes out of the bag and gets sucked into the into the engine. I always have guys put a ten to ten to twelve foot section on that on that side of the vacuum to pull the bag away from it. That way. Yep that dust is, is far away and not packing around the engine. It's kind of a 10, 10 to 12 foot tail just between the back and the bag. Yep. And, and we set up our packages so that you get all that stuff. So if you, if you get a package, you get the vacuum, your suction hose, all the connectors, clamps, uh, some bags and the, uh, the hose to pull it away. And of course, something we can always call on you to go help train. Correct. Cause uh, yep. I think that's one thing we didn't mention at the beginning is you are traveling uh, kind of like a tech. You, you've been out to pretty much the entire Midwest since you've been here, from what I understand, because it's kind of relegated because of COVID, you know, being able to travel. Yep. But I want to back up a little bit um, and talk a little bit about uh, um, electric machines going back to uh, one of the things I don't think we really covered is hear a lot about guys having problems with their electric machines, you know, just kind of touch on a few of the most common issues that are kind of, you know, obvious to you because you know what you're looking for, but again, might be just overlooked because they're either not thinking about it or they're in a hurry to try to get the job done. Well, uh, the electrical machines will be similar to the same problems that we talked about before. They're going to have the seal problems, uh, the filters. You want to make sure you clean that, keep the machine clean. Uh, but the thing that's different about electric machines is you're plugging into electric power. Um, we see guys, uh, if it, a lot of people doing retro work, if they're plugging into to line power, a lot of times they'll have pr problems just because all the different homes provide different power. You know, a lot of them are going to have good power, but uh, when you get to a home that has um, power that's less than ideal, the machine will typically still run. But what happens is you damage a lot of those components inside of there and and you'll, you'll notice it over the, the next months or years later. Um, basically, I always... I always reference it as um, it shortens the life of the components on the machine. So when you put, uh, if you're looking, if you have an electric machine, you want to look at the, the voltmeter on there and run anywhere between about 110 to 130 volts uh, would good, would be good running power. Anything less than that, the machine, like I said, will probably still run, but you're causing a lot of problems to it. And most electric uh, machines have two, you're given two power cords for it. 
for a Correct. reason, right? Because they want you yep. to hook up to two different power sources to help mitigate the problem that you're talking about. Correct. So make sure you're on two separate circuits if you have two power sources. And some of the larger electric machines would have um, would have a single cord for like a dryer or range outlet. That would be the same thing where we want to be, you know, 240 volt, but plus or minus 10 percent. So down to 220 up to 260. Uh, but 240 would be would be the best spot to be in. Um, a lot of the electric machines, um, guys try to get away from using all the different line power. So they'll get a generator, which can be good. Um, but you need to make sure that you maintain that, make sure that the it's still putting out good power. Um, one of the problems with those, um, a lot of the generators will have an idle control or like a throttle control or something. If you have that on there, make sure you have that turned off. What happens is if you have that on is it's trying to conserve uh, fuel when it doesn't sense a draw on the generator. So it's running slower and it's putting out lower power. So when the machine starts up, then the generator will kick up. But by the time the machine starts up, it's already gotten kind of a dose of, of low voltage. Um, next thing would be power cords. There's a lot of, a lot of people that will use two small cords, um, 14 gauge, 16 gauge cords. You know, you, you want to use a good heavy duty cord uh, to make sure you don't have a voltage drop from, from your power source to the machine. So just for troubleshoot, troubleshooting recap, you know, basically a lot of this is, you know, power source, is it correct for an electric machine? You know, uh, main, maintain your gas and diesel like you would any other working engine. Got to have the oil, keep the filters, keep the dirt and the uh, insulation itself away from it. And then, uh, uh, of course, the air seals. And then lastly, the hoses. Make sure your hoses are in good condition. Is there anything that uh, we've been talking about that you wanted to add or think that something we didn't cover? So a lot of that stuff, the, the maintenance and things that can be, you can set up a schedule with your guys. Um, and that's something we can help you with. You know, they can work with their, their local rep or, or reach out to us and, and we can walk them through, help them set up a maintenance plan. And if they install the machines properly, that goes a long way in, in, um, making sure that it's going to last a long time. If you put it to where you're going to be getting fresh air for everything, that really helps reduce how much maintenance you're going to have to do to the machine. Um, as far as power, just make sure you're looking at those, uh, um, the voltmeters to make sure you're getting the proper power and to train your guys. If you see that it's low power, Hey, let's stop and let's figure out what we need to do to get the right power. All right. Well, Chris, I, I learned a thing or two today. Donnie, you got anything you want to add? I learned a ton. I'm a spray foam guy. I can learned you, a ton. Can you tell that uh, I did the majority of the talking today? Cause the spray foam guy was, you know. Over, not over my head. Not interested. I, I thought Don was pretty quiet today. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, this podcast is pretty dominated by Don because he's he's just such an excellent speaker. But, well, it's nice to know you can pick up the pieces. Uh, make a good team, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> I mean, Chris. Yeah. Chris Fierce with IDI, the uh, maintenance guy. Uh, been on board since May. Finally got you on a podcast. Chris, thank you for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy.